Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. Enola Holmes 2 hits Netflix tomorrow, starring Millie Bobby Brown as the teenage sister of Sherlock Holmes. I spoke to author Nancy Springer when the original film released in 2020 to discuss her local ties from receiving her literature degree at Gettysburg College to working in the library of St. Joseph's College in Emmitsburg, Maryland. We are being joined by... Nancy Springer. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. You're very welcome. Now, before we get to that, that awesome, you know, premise there, uh, take me all the way back, you know, to your first encounter with, with Sherlock Holmes, you know, when, you know, how old were you when you discovered it, you know, or when, when did you really start, you know, exploring the, the Sherlock myth? I was so young, I don't even know how old I was. My mother had the complete set of Conan Doyle in a, a cloth, brown, shabby uh, uh, book set. And uh, I don't remember when I started reading them. I do remember being very disappointed uh, sometime around the age of 10 or 12 when I had read all of them so many that I had the, so often that I had them memorized and <laughs> there weren't any more. Did you have a favorite particular story or is there so many it's hard to choose? <laughs> It's very hard to choose, but because I am crazy about horses, I do like Silver Blaze. And that's the one in which uh, Holmes mentions uh, the peculiar thing the dog did in the nighttime. And yeah. says the dog did nothing in the nighttime. And he says that's the peculiar thing. Gotcha. So that's the, your love of horses sort of is why you love that one. But wh why do you think you like Sherlock Holmes in, in general, because obviously it's going to percolate into your, you know, creative spark to actually write, write your book. But what, what about, what about that character in, in that world and, or even just the genre of mysteries really speaks to you, you think? Well, it's about heroes. I think uh, Sherlock Holmes was really a superhero before we had superheroes. He had remarkable, almost, well, they weren't supernatural powers, but they might as well have been. He was a uh, uh, high-voltage genius, um, man of action. He could do anything. You remember, he could play the violin. He could sword fight. He could do jiu-jitsu. He could uh, get down on his hands and knees and, and trail people like a dog. Um, and I've always written about heroes. Uh, very early on, I wrote fantasy with uh, handsome princes being heroes. And uh, later on, I wrote contemporary novels about people trying to do heroic things to make the world better. So that's, he's not, he's uh, idealistic to me. He's a good guy. 
Gotcha. And so when did, so you say he's the good guy. When did you get that creative spark to say, all right, so he's the good guy. He's the famous one. What if he had a, you know, a younger sister here that could follow in his footsteps? Because I know your first, what is it? It's, it's been a, it's been a series of books, the Enola Holmes Mysteries. I think the first one, Missing Marquise was um, 2007, nominated for an Edgar Award for Best Juvenile Mystery. So what, how did, you know, when did that creative spark actually happen? Do you like, do you remember where you like driving in the car one day? Were you reading a Sherlock book or, you know, how did it come to you? I remember vividly how it came to me. Um, I have to fill in a little bit of background, though. I had been working for years with an editor, a very brilliant editor, who was uh, excellent uh, help to me and who uh, had a really intuition, a genius mind, as to what was good in the marketplace. And we had done... uh, I am Mordred and I am Morgan Le Fay. Those are Arthurian stories. Uh, We had done the Rowan Hood series, which is about Robin Hood's kid sister. And at that point in my life, I was always and forever looking for the female and feminist point of view. So this editor called me on the phone one day, pretty much out of the blue, and said, hey, you know what I want you to write? I want you to write something set in deepest, darkest, London at the time of Jack the Ripper. And I said, huh? (laughs) I said, ew. He said, yeah, I'd have you do Jack the Ripper, except somebody else is already doing that. I'm like, yuck. Uh, But because I took him very seriously as an editor, I thought it over and I realized that that was the time of Sherlock Holmes. And then I thought I could not give Sherlock Holmes a daughter. It's simply impossible. I think the man's a virgin, but uh, a younger sister, definitely. He needed one to uh, to mess with him. <laughs> now, what's what's the age, what's the age gap? Uh, just in case our listeners never picked up the book, so they haven't watched it on Netflix. What? How much younger is Enola? I honestly can't remember right now, but it's something between. Sherlock, maybe 14 years, and Mycroft, 20, something like that. Okay. So, Enola, and, um, so, so if Sherlock's, like, maybe in college, Enola's still in elementary, my dear author. <laughs> All yeah. right. Yeah. That's so, I- okay. So, just continuing moving chronologically, that's, how, that's when you sort of came up with the idea. Tell me how exciting it was to, to you know, that, that, that first book and then it was so successful. And then just the idea that there, you know, there was such an appetite for it that they keep asking you to write more. They keep, you know, getting nominated for these prestigious awards. Like tell me about how, how thrilling it's been to, to turn that not into just a one-off, but like a franchise of children's books. Well, at first it was actually quite frightening. I had never written historical and I did not consider myself to be really a mystery writer. Uh, I'm not a plot-driven writer. I'm a character-directed writer. I follow the characters around. I don't do red herrings and and, uh, that kind of intricacies. So I was very challenged. I did a tremendous amount of research and uh, just, just felt like these books were one of the most difficult things I'd ever undertaken. And when I came to hand in the first book, I was quite... uh, I had butterflies in my stomach. I was quite nervous about it. Luckily, everybody loved it. And uh, all else followed. Uh, I I did learn to plot. Uh, Each book has three plots. 
the plot of uh, Enola trying to find her mother, the plot of her eluding her brothers who want to put her in a finishing school, and the plot of her finding a, a missing person along the way. And I had to braid those three things together in every book. When did Netflix, or I guess maybe they, maybe Netflix didn't reach out to you. Tell me how, how exactly the, you know, bringing it to screen came about. You know, you've had this successful series. Is this something like your agent taps you and says, hey, guess what? There, there's interest in turning it, you know, into something for streaming. That's a remarkable story because I have written all my life pretty much, even when I was writing for adults, I didn't realize it, but I was writing for young adults, uh, preteens, teens, and, and 20-somethings, young, young people. And a very young person named Paige Brown read these books, and she said to her little sister, Millie Bobby Brown, you might like these. And Millie Bobby Brown read them. Millie Bobby Brown, I guess, at the time was doing Stranger Things. And she said, we're going to turn these into a movie. It didn't come from the top at all. It came from the kids. Wow. I, I freaking love that. So that. And you know what? I bet for that exact reason, it's going to resonate with child audiences, too, because it isn't something top down, like you're saying, that a bunch of studio execs are trying to appeal to young people. It already was something organically that was appealing to kids. So that's cool. Were you um, so so seeing as that's the case that it came from Millie Bobby Brown and her and, you know, and her family, did you were you already watching Stranger Things? Were you a fan of that? Like, how excited were you to hear that, oh my gosh, this famous person, she's playing Eleven and eating her egos on TV, and now all of a sudden she liked my book. No, honestly, I'm, I'm, when you're a writer, you don't, you don't, well, I guess I should just speak for myself. I don't watch a whole lot of TV or a whole lot of movies because I've got movies going on inside my head. <laughs> I, it, it's, it's too much. Uh, I find television, uh, actually, in my younger years, television made me literally shake. And I, I would like hide under the furniture. It was just too too uh, invasive for me. Uh, I, I guess my own, what's going on inside my own brain is, is so compelling and sometimes compulsive that uh, what's going on inside somebody else's brain was too much. <laughs> Yeah, I totally can. I totally feel you on that one. It's you know, it's it's sometimes the movies in your head are 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 even better. But again, like it's hard to compare. So that actually is a perfect segue to my next question: is you know, you know, this character's in and out. You know the story. How hard is it to you know? At some point, once you you know, once you you sell it to get made. You have to let your baby go to some extent because you you know you have a screenwriter and in this case um, it's uh, Jack Thorne who adapted um, he did the what was that he did oh he did Wonder the the Owen Wilson movie yeah so he adapted Wonder for the screen he I think he did the stage play for the Harry Potter and the Cursed Child with J.K. Rowling so he you know he's got the chops but at the same time you know how hard was it to sort of let it go? And, and you know, what, what, what sort of differences are there with, with what he cranked out in his adaptation versus what were in the, in the book? <laughs> I don't think he'd like to hear you say cranked out. <laughs> <laughs> it, I've written over 50 books. So I learned very early on, uh, like 40 years ago, that uh, writing is a process of letting go. Uh, 
it's a two-headed process, my head and the reader's head. And the reader is a stranger far away in a, in a, in a different place. And what the reader imagines and takes from the book will maybe be not quite exactly what I imagined when and tried to put into it. So uh, at one point or another, I was teaching writing classes and people would say, uh, I want to write a picture book. Do I get to choose the illustrator? And I would say, no, uh, that's up to the publisher and the illustrator will be, will get add more to your book than you knew was in it. And it's a very similar process with the movie. They took the book and they enabled it. They, uh, they made it more than it was already. And I love it. That's great. Yeah, I guess how much interaction did you have uh, either with with Thorne as the writer or even Harry Bradbeer? Because he's a he's an acclaimed, you know, British TV director too. Fleabag, Killing Eve and the rest. But how did they ever call you up to ask you certain things? Or once you handed it over, was it pretty much, you know, theirs to run with? I, I had very little to do with them at first. Uh, I uh, read the first script and, and wrote them a letter with a few suggestions. Uh, uh, later on, when actual filming was taking place, I met Harry Bradbeer, and I just absolutely love him. And uh, and I hugged Millie Bobby Brown, and I talked with Henry Cavill, and and tried not to swoon. <laughs> yeah, Superman as Sherlock Holmes <laughs> doesn't get much better than that. And uh, lately, since the movie has been uh, in the can, so to speak, we've been I've been. Uh, chatting back and forth on Twitter with, uh, with Thorne. And uh, he's delighted that I'm delighted. So it seems as if he was kind of nervous about, uh-oh, what if she doesn't like this? Well, it sounds like you did like it. And uh, the audience is, you know, it's getting, it, well, it just came out, but it's getting some pretty good reviews. So I think you should be, it's got to feel good. Is this, is this, you know, since it's, appearing at least so far that it's that it's going to be a hit um do you do you envision this is going to be sort of like a a franchise of of netflix original movies here i mean because they got the material you have multiple books in the book series so i would think if millie bobby and henry cavill and everybody are on board they would keep it going i mean what are your what are your thoughts or or hopes for a franchise uh, it definitely it's just hopes it's way too early to have uh, anything more than hopes and, and I'm, I'm 72 years old. I'm, I'm here uh, quarantined from COVID and uh, dealing with various medical conditions and thinking, okay, this is the icing on the cake. This movie, what a heck of a thing to happen to a person my age. So uh, yeah, the future, I'm taking this one day at a time. The future will come and it will be what it will be. Yeah, I mean, I guess... Uh if the movie just came out a little premature to talk franchises that, you know, you, it's like you got a big game coming up Sunday and I'm asking about the Super Bowl. It's too early. Let's enjoy this. <laughs> Let's enjoy this right now. Um, okay, cool. Well that we've, we've spent so much time on Enola, the character and, you know, Millie Bobby and the rest, but I want to hear more about Nancy Springer, you know, tell me about yourself. Where, where did, where did you uh, grow up and, you know, your earliest days of, you know, falling in love with reading, you know, and writing. My parents uh, had a tremendous number of books in the house, and honestly, I don't know where they got them because I do not remember bookstores. 
This was back in the 1950s and there was no wall in books and no borders, but for some, somehow they had, a, had uh, books. Now during daylight hours, I was expected to be outside getting fresh air and exercise. I, I, was, a, I was a free range child. I, I roamed from the river to the top of the hill. But uh, in, this was in Livingston, New Jersey before it became metropolitan. Uh, and then when I was 13, I moved to Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. And it's amazing that I haven't ended up writing about the Civil War because I learned an awful lot about the Civil War living in Gettysburg for years. But uh, no, that wasn't uh, my thing. So uh, I'm a, a reader, uh, always have been. I'm kind of the kind of kid, I was the kind of kid who would read the back of the cereal box. I've... Uh, for the most part, been an excellent student. I was one of those uh, misfit, kind of loner, socially inept kids who was not, never part of the popular crowd, but uh, always an academic overachiever. Um, and then I really, okay, I was an English literature major and then I graduated from college, Gettysburg College in, the 19, in 1970 and had no idea what to do, so I got married. That was what <laughs> that was what girls went to college for back then. Right, right. You majored in, in dowries back in the day. Yeah. And then I started writing. And the rest is history. That's so cool. And I think a lot of our listeners, you know, we're a DC radio station, but our signal reaches all through Maryland, Virginia, West, some of West Virginia, even up into a little Pennsylvania. So I think I think the Gettysburg connection is pretty cool. Um, did you have, just to localize it, you know, even more, I mean, I assume, did you ever come down across that Mason-Dixon line into Maryland and do any, you know, speaking engagements? Or I, I guess my question is, do you think there's some some of our listeners that grew up in, in maybe Northern Maryland or even in Pennsylvania that maybe heard you speak on Enola Holmes before the movie? Well, they probably didn't hear me speak on Enola Holmes because I moved to Florida. Eh, let's see, the first book came out in 06 and I moved to Florida in 07. But uh, definitely, I was across that Mason-Dixon line. I worked for a while in Emmitsburg. I worked at uh, a school that's now closed. It was St. Joseph's uh, College for Girls. What did you do there? I was uh, a clerk in the library. Gotcha. I was, I was typing uh, the, the cards for the card catalog. That's how long ago it was. Oh man, Dewey Decimal System. Yep, you got it. <laughs> did you do any, you know, while you're typing that up, did, you know, I, you said you have these stories playing in your mind. Did you, were you thinking of any Enola back then or any other story? Did you write any other stories, jotting down ideas on the side while you're there? You know, that's interesting. There was a, a Sister Margaret Mary. Uh, I think she was the head librarian. Uh, and she actually assigned me to read a great number of children's books and write little reviews of them and before, for a class she was teaching. But how she chose me and why she did this, uh, I don't know. I think she saw something or, or sensed something or uh, it was a, a, a very odd little interlude and it definitely helped me as a writer. I hadn't yet started writing. Well, or had I? I started writing in 1972, so no, I guess not. But I was definitely headed in that direction. 
who knew? I just think our WTOP audience is, they're going to think it's so cool that who knew that, uh, you know, a library <laughs> clerk who you, you hadn't even started writing yet, but someone at this little, you know, college, this little school in Maryland had inspired you maybe to write little reviews. And now great. we're the ones writing reviews of your stuff <laughs> on Netflix. It's a it's been a wild, wild ride. Um, is there anything else you want to add before we go? You know, what, before we leave, you know, I just think it's kind of cool to just turn it over to you. And, you know, what what didn't I ask you that I should ask you? <laughs> um, honestly, I think you did pretty darn well. Uh, I'm, I'm now retired. I'm living in Florida. I've got a movie. Um, this, this 2020 is probably one of the worst years ever. But one good thing happened for me and... Uh, those who are close to me in 2020, and and that was the Enola Holmes movie. And wow. I hope we get better. I hope things get better for us as a nation from here on out. Me too. It seems like it's been um, the year of hell on so many levels. So, but I I thank you for providing some bit of a release and silver lining here. And uh, you know, it's the fact that this you know it's sort of a blessing that it's that Enola Holmes you know, instead of going to the big screen like it originally could, where no one's going to the movie theaters right now, they're trying to reopen them. But um, the fact that it, it got bought by Netflix is is another awesome, you know, blessing because we can all watch it at home now while we're quarantining. So yeah, it's weird how things work out, but it actually, for, for Nola Holmes, I think it works out for the best that it's on streaming. So um, thank you so much for, for taking the time to join us and for the genius idea to, to find a new take on Sherlock. It's super cool. Thank you, Jason. Thanks so much for listening to Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Our theme music is Scott Buckley's Clarion. Remember to give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time. Explain your DNA on, on 10 cases, man. You're inside the police interrogation room with the alleged Potomac River rapist. I'm not guilty on any of this stuff. So calm, so reasonable. Could this be the man who terrorized women for nine years before murdering a brilliant scientist two decades ago? Experience one of the most fascinating true crime podcasts available. Join crime reporter Paul Wagner for Unknown Subject, season three of WTOP's American Nightmare series. Search American Nightmare Podcast on all podcast platforms. I wanted to take a second to tell you about an app I really enjoy. Living in the D.C. area is great, and Podcast D.C. gathers all of the local shows that I like all in one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast D.C. is the new local app with hundreds of D.C. area podcasts to choose from. I can earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts I love instantly. Available in the App Store or in Google Play, listen local with Podcast D.C.